head into a time of prayer, I want us to look at a couple of scripture verses. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, the word of God says, We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb. Let's think about that this morning. How much God loves us and the price that he
Christ, you are alive forevermore. We have eternity with you. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. May Jesus be magnified in this place for you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were out of town, and we had some great help filling in. I thanked Clint last week, and I wanted to thank Anita Murchison for filling in on the piano, uh, playing during the hymns. Anita, so everybody can know who you are, where are you sitting? There you are over there. Thank you for filling in, and also to know that uh, Warren learned to play the piano as well as he played in the other part of the service. And uh, Jim Guthrie, our former... Uh, Minister of Music used to say every time that we were out, you're no problem to fill in for, Michelle is. And so I, I know that's a little bit bigger of a challenge. While we were gone, and uh, you can be so thankful for my wife, she corrects me on things that I fail to say correctly on sermons in a very loving way. She's my biggest encourager, but she reminded me that I was telling you that on our last trip that, that we were going to D.C. for our youngest granddaughter's birthday, but it was actually our middle granddaughter's birthday. And I want to show you just a little bit because people say, oh, I'm sure you, you had a very wonderful, relaxing time. Well, it didn't start off that way. I want to show you a picture of what happened to us on the, air, well, on the way to the airport. About 10 miles from uh, Hobby, we're driving down uh, I-10, and all of a sudden we see this two-by-four fly off of a trailer, and it kind of slides across. And you know how that kinetic energy works, it's kind of just skipping and then it bounces up. And, and it came straight at my face like this, not sideways, but it just obliterated our uh, windshield. And so we had a great interruption while we were not with you guys. And it's interesting how life can feel like that sometimes. We can feel as if things are coming at us and interrupting our life in such a significant way. And today we're going to be reminded of this great truth that Jesus, even in the midst of the adversity that we face, is praying for us. I guess about a week and a half ago, God put on my heart Psalm 23. I, I, it's unexplainable. But it, it just became something that I was thinking about, and I would say it before going to sleep, and then I started saying it as soon as I woke up. And I wanted to make sure that I was getting it right. And uh, so this last week, I pulled out my phone. It was early. Michelle was asleep, and I was reading it. And I hit the wrong button, you know, on that app that it'll read to you. So all of a sudden, you know, she's sound asleep. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> and you know how it is, you know, like it is in church when your phone goes off. You know, you're hitting every single button, and nothing will stop it. And it's kind of that way. But, you know, the reason I've been so drawn to Psalm 23 is Psalm 23, 4 is because it says he restores my soul. And we understand what it is to have power restored after a storm, or maybe you've needed to restore your settings on your phone, or it could be that you've had your taste and smell restored after COVID. Psalm 23 was written during a time, and the best of commentators, Kyle and Dalich, conservative Old Testament commentators, say that this was written during the time of Absalom's rebellion. 
We may want to picture David sitting out in a pasture somewhere thinking about how God is his shepherd, but the truth is he was writing this as he was in the midst of fleeing from Absalom. He had crossed over the valley, talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Would he, would he come back to Jerusalem? He, he would go out into the midst where his enemies had pursued him, Saul, for so many years. And here he is in the twilight of his life, talking about the Lord restoring his soul. He had already had the experience with Bathsheba and repented of that years ago, of the murder of Uriah. He had buried two sons. And in contrast to his son Solomon, in the twilight of his life, he wasn't drifting from God. He was intentionally seeking the Lord. It reminds me of 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, in which the men that were following after David decided that they were going to stone him, and it says that, that David strengthened himself in the Lord. This morning I want to talk about restoration, a prayer of restoration. That windshield, it, it can't be restored. It was replaced. I'm not sure what it says about my driving record, but that car has 10,000 miles on it, and this is the third windshield that we've had. It's not going to be restored. It had to be replaced. But God wants to restore each of us, and I believe that many of us would like to have some restoration of our souls. You can uh, go and pray over these cards in the back. They look familiar to the other ones. That's because the back is very similar. But over the next month, we are inviting the medical community to go to Bruno's to get a free meal just to express our appreciation for what they are doing. And on the back of it is a, a gospel presentation and how you can grow as a Christian. And I hope that you'll take a minute to go back there and just pray over this card because this is a card that's going to be given to them when they come in for a free meal. And on there, it makes note of what a member of the Texas Medical Association's COVID-19 task force recently stated. He said, we are soul-tired. Not the kind of fatigue that can be resolved with a nap, but soul tired. And when Jesus comes to John 17 to give his high priestly prayer, this is really the Lord's Prayer. What we have back in the Sermon on the Mount is, is a model prayer, but this is the Lord's Prayer, the longest prayer recorded in all the Gospels in which Jesus prays for us, for our souls to be restored. As we come to this, recognize again that this is right before Jesus will be arrested. The end of his earthly life is rapidly approaching. There will only be one more sunrise before he dies. No more sunsets. The last one has already gone down. And he spent the last few hours talking to his disciples that we have been studying over these last several chapters and instructing them before he dies. And now he is going to pray for them. You like it when somebody prays for you? Probably all of us do. More recent years of my ministry, I guess over the last 10 to 15, I have tried to pray over people as much as I can. I used to say, I'll pray for you. But I think people enjoy having someone pray for them in the moment, to hear what's being said. And I hope that's an encouragement to all of us as church members and Christians 
It's one thing to say, I will pray for you. And people will never hear you pray for them. It's another to take a pause in the day and to pray for them. And here we listen to Jesus praying for us, a prayer of restoration. The first thing that Jesus talks about in his prayer is he goes to the Father. The whole chapter is prayer. It's prayer for the restoration of our relationship with God. Look at verse, chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus describes eternal life to say, this is eternal life that you, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Squarespace did a survey this year, 2021, of younger generations. And the summary statement of that particular survey was that, quote, younger generations feel online presence is more important than real-life interactions. It goes on to say, how you present yourself online is more crucial than how you appear in person. Could it be that we are living in a time in which, as J.I. Packer would say, we are looking through the wrong end of the telescope? He's talking about looking through the wrong end of the telescope at God, in which he seems very distant, but I'm not so sure we're not looking through the wrong end of the telescope as we consider life, in which everything seems very disoriented and confusing. John Calvin was the one who said the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Jesus said, I want them, as he prayed for us, I want them to, to know us, to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one triune God. Paul would talk about that in Philippians. He would say, I consider everything to be lost in comparison to knowing experientially. There's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You would be far better to know God a little than knowing a lot about God. But my hope is we would know, we would know God a lot. John, in Philippians chapter 3, continuing on, Paul said that he wanted to know Christ, and he said that everything in his life, in comparison to Christ, is manure. J.I. Packer, in his Knowing God book, makes a very interesting observation of that. He says what he's trying to say there is that he doesn't think about those other things much. What do you think about? What do you think about right now? What Paul was saying is, an interesting perspective is, do you think about manure much? Probably not. What Paul was saying is, I don't think about those things a lot. Just like you don't think about manure a lot, I don't think about those other things in my life a lot, he's saying. I think about God and, and knowing him. So here is Jesus saying, may they know the one true living God. Not about him, but know him in relationship. To have that relationship restored because we go back to the, the Garden of Eden and we're reminded that God created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with him in which they would know him. They would walk together. But then that relationship was forever broken 
by sin. And Jesus came in just a matter of hours. He will restore that relationship. So what's the purpose of our restored relationship with God? 19 different times throughout this chapter, we see the word that. And so Jesus isn't praying that we would just feel good about life. He is praying for purpose 19 different times that this will occur, that they will know us, that this will happen. I want to share just a few of those that I think might help us today. Just things to think about as we long for God to restore our souls. Jesus prays for us to have restoration of unity. Look at verse 11. And if you want to see where just a real important statement in verse 9, it says, I pray for them. Four words, period. I pray for them, those who follow after me. For the disciples in the moment there and for all of us that would follow later. And it says in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Oh, Holy Father, would you protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus wants us to have the same unity that the Trinity has. He wants us to be so unified that there's no division among us because as we think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there is no division among them. They are in equal agreement on all things. You see, disunity is simply what happens without God. It's a natural outcome, and that's why when we look throughout our culture and there's a heart cry, there, there is a screaming for unity among us. It will never happen apart from God because disunity is a natural outcome of separation from God, of doing life without God. And some of you are reading through the Bible and you're using the yearly Bible reading calendar, and today, uh, uniquely enough, is in Philippians chapter 4. Eutyche and Syntyche, what do you know about them besides having really weird names? They couldn't get along. How would you like to be in the Bible for the one reason that you couldn't get along? That's what you remembered. And then you go back and you say, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't have done that because the one thing that's going to last throughout eternity is God's Word. Can you imagine what it's going to be like, everybody coming up to him? You can send to God, what, what was the deal? Why couldn't you all get along? Paul is pleading for you to agree with one another. Because unity is so important among God's people. Because when we are unified, we are reflective of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have just gone through the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The Justice Department reported that in 2002, we had the lowest crime rate on record. The lowest crime rate ever on record, 19 uh, going all the way back to 1973, the year that the Twin Towers officially opened. Why? Why was crime rate down in 2002? Because we were unified as a people. A common focus that has since been lost. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, said, Divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. Has anyone ever told you that they won't go to church because it's filled with Hypocrites, divisiveness, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. The thing about unity is we don't have to agree on everything. 
But we have to agree on that which is essential. And here's a thought that I heard from Kyle Eidelman recently that I think is so important. We can be right, yet wrong. We can be right about the truth, right about doctrine, right about perspective, but be wrong in our attitude or approach in addressing it. That's something I think we need to hear in the church in America today, especially in our culture. We can be spot on with our doctrine or truth or our perspective, but be so wrong in our perspective of attitude and approach. Sometimes people find faults as if there's a reward for it. And God has called us to be unified, not to find the lowest common denominator that we can agree on, but live with the attitude of Christ that even when we don't agree, we can live agreeably. And there's no divisiveness. There's unity. And there's unity among the most important thing, and that is the gospel. Did you know that in Minnesota right now, a kid can get a ticket for wearing a helmet while they're scootering, biking, or skating? What kind of world are we living in in which policemen are giving kids tickets for wearing a helmet? Because there's a statewide initiative that was funded by AAA that provides police and sheriff departments with certificates that they can give kids that says, I got caught doing the right thing. And you can take that certificate to the nearest Dairy Queen and get a small ice cream. What if we were living in such a way that we were catching people doing good things and right things and cheering and encouraging them on? The police chief in Sauk Rapids said, if you can catch people when they're doing things right and you can reinforce that behavior, they'll continue to carry on that positive behavior. Jesus says, I am praying for you to be unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the world will be restored to relationship with me. Let's continue on. It says in, in John chapter 17, verse 13, another thing that he prays for is the restoration of our joy. Jesus praying to the Father says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The restoration of joy. Kerry Newhoff has written a best-selling book called At Your Best. And he notes that many people today are suffering from what he calls low-grade burnout, where they are functioning but without any joy. You find yourself there today? In the midst of this pandemic, with all of the angst that's out there, the frustration, the uncertainty, the alterations of lifestyle that we've had to endure, that you're functioning, yet without joy. And Jesus knew that there would come times in our life when we would be functioning, yet we would not have joy. And he says, I pray for their joy, the full measure of my joy, Jesus says, to be within them. Imagine that. Jesus is praying for their full joy when he is just hours from the cross. Reminds me of David in the midst of his repentance in Psalm 51, a psalm that was written before Psalm 23. And he says as he prays, would you restore the joy of your salvation to me? 
Might there be some of us in this room today that need the joy of our salvation restored inside of us? I was reading in USA Today back in the summertime about shortcuts of how you can get around automated systems when you're calling someone. Anybody want to know the, the secret, the trick? We've all been there where you're calling in and you just want to talk to someone that can resolve your problem. And they keep on asking you all these questions through automation that don't resolve your problem. One of the tips that were given, and there were many, of course, you know the, the deal where you can just keep on saying operator, 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 or you can just keep on punching zero, 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 or keep yelling help, 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 and, and that will, the system is designed to kind of generate you closer towards automation. But here's the one that I thought was kind of interesting. It said, if you want a shortcut to get to human interaction, use profanity. That the software is designed that when it hears profanity, it recognizes there's an immediate need to get to human interaction. Now, let me say straight up here from this pulpit at Westgate Memorial Baptist Church, I'm not advocating profanity. <laughs> it's just a reminder of how prevalent frustration is in this day. And Jesus says, I am the only source of joy. Best Buy, Academy, Dicks, Lubies, wherever it might be, they cannot provide you with lasting joy. And Jesus says, I want to restore to you the joy that brings life into your being. Jesus continues on. It's such a lengthy prayer. I wish that we could, we could just nuance every part of this prayer. But I, I wanted to just kind of hit the highlights, the cliff notes today. And the next is to see that God wants to restore holiness in our lives. Look at verses 17 and following. It says, Lord, would you sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. What is sanctification? It's that being set apart for holiness. Jesus was sanctified because he was set apart to be our holiness, to be our righteousness as he died for us, so that we could have holiness. Do we need restoration of holiness in our world today? I think so. But let's not just look to the culture, let's look to the church. And I have to be reminded of an article that was in the Wall Street Journal just as the pandemic was starting to take place in December of 2019. We didn't know about it. But it was starting to spread. The COVID virus was starting to spread in December of 2019. And Erica Komazar, who is a, a therapist, works with children and adolescents, made this statement in the Wall Street Journal. I'm often asked to explain, she said, why depression and anxiety are so common among children and adolescents. One of the most important explanations, she said, and perhaps the most neglected is the declining interest in religion. She said, secular publication. Why is there so much depression and anxiety out there among our kids? Because we no longer look to faith as an avenue for finding fulfillment and joy. Listen to her advice. Her advice, listen to this, straight from her mouth, from her pen. If you don't believe in God, talking to parents, 
if you don't believe in God, lie to your children. It's that important. And Jesus is saying, I want them to be sanctified, to be set apart, to, apart, to, be, to be holy. God wants us to be holy. Restoration of holiness. We were created as holy beings in the Garden of Eden. But sin has forever stopped that until Christ redeems us. Restoration a belief. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, of all of them, that they may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you, may we also be, may they also be in us so that the world may believe. Why does God want us to be holy? So we'll have better marriages, better churches, better communities. He wants us to be holy so that the world will take note. If you're reading through the Bible, you are reminded of 1 Kings chapter 10 that you read this last week, in which the Queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon. She was so enamored by all that she saw that she praised God, it says in 1 Kings 10.9. She praised God for what God was doing in Solomon's life before he went off the rails. Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father. That God wants people to believe because of us. Gentle and Lowly was listed in World's, World Magazine's 2020 year, Book of the Year, Accessible Theology Book of the Year. Written by Dane Ortland. I would suggest reading it. I just finished it not too terribly long ago. And one thing I never read in a book, I guess I can't say that anymore, the acknowledgments. The very back of the book, I started thumbing through the acknowledgments and listened to the acknowledgment that this author made to his boss. Here's the acknowledgment. Lane Dennis, my boss, who lives and leads Crossway as if God actually exist. What an incredible statement. To live as if God actually exists. To take a hurt or a wrong and let it go because you believe that God really exists and he is greater than that wrong and you can let it go and forgive. Jesus said, I want to, them to have restored belief in the power of who I am. Restoration of hope. Look at verse 24. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. As I return to see the, the glory of God, God wants us to see this incredible glory that he has in store for us. Around our house, we've had to come to a very harsh reality that my mom is not going to get better. You don't cure Alzheimer's. And you think about your life. When's the last time you thought about something that wasn't going to get better? We're always thinking about it's going to get better. There's hope. There's going to be a cure. There's going to be a resolution. 
We're looking for a better day. But there are certain experiences you come to in life in which you recognize there won't be a better day in this life. But there is a better day. And to have the restoration of hope that when things don't go the way that we want in this life, we can be confident to the very core of our being that we have the hope of being with Christ in His glory, the glory that He had before the creation of the world. And that fuels hope in the midst of a soul-weary person. Finally, can I just note that Jesus prays for the restoration of love? Look at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself will be in them. The embodiment of love is Christ. And he dwells in those who believe in him. Love is pretty confusing in the world, isn't it? I'm reminded of Jennifer who was having quite the challenging time in preparation for her wedding. She wrote about the experience of her mom and her stepmom buying the identical same dress for the wedding. So Jennifer asked if her stepmom would be willing to concede. And the trophy wife wasn't willing to concede anything. She was wearing the dress to the wedding. So she appealed to her mom and said, Mom, please, would you be willing to wear a different dress to the wedding? And the mom conceded. And Jennifer was so happy, she said, Mom, I can't thank you enough for your willingness to not wear the same dress to the wedding. Thank you. I will gladly return the dress for you because I know you have no place that you can wear the dress. She smiled with a sly smile. The older woman said to her daughter, Honey, there's no need to return the dress because I'm going to wear that dress to the rehearsal dinner the night before the wedding. Is that how love feels in the world today? And Jesus says, I want to put the kind of love inside of you, my very being, the embodiment of love, so that love takes on completely different dimensions. Jesus was praying for you and for me. The question is, will we allow Jesus' prayer of restoration to be answered in your life today? His prayer for restoration of relationship with God and with others. For restoration of unity among believers in Christ. Restoration of joy that maybe we've lost. Restoration of holiness. The restoration of that being our greatest pursuit in life is to allow Jesus to make us like himself. The restoration of belief that is so significant that people would say of us, he lives as if God really does exist. The restoration of hope. That when we can be confident that things won't get better in this life in certain circumstances, a day is coming which we will be with God for all of eternity and it will be forever better. A restoration for love.
kind of love that is defined and embodied in Jesus Christ. Do you know that love? Have you received him? God loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him. That's what Jesus was praying about. But as we've seen and why he prayed and why he came and why he's going to die in just a few hours, because our sin has forever separated us from God. And the only way we can be restored to God is through receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. To humbly repent of all of our sins and fully surrender our life to him. Starts with a simple prayer, and I'll voice that prayer in just a moment. But for those of us that are believers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is there something about what we've talked about today that needs to be restored in your life? Use this time to pray for restoration. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Now let's pray together. God, we acknowledge that maybe in our midst there is someone, either in this room or listening online, that has never received you as Lord and Savior. And the very first step of life, of being restored, is to be restored in relationship with you. Lord, we are desperate without you. We are eternally separated without your grace and forgiveness. So if any of my friends listening now have never received you, I pray they would cry out to you with a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for those of us who have already embraced your forgiveness and we're seeking with all that we have to follow hard after you, Give us eyes to see what you see in our life, what you want to restore. You don't sit on the precipice of heaven trying to point out everything that is wrong with us. You point out with a loving heart wanting to restore us in a full and right and meaningful relationship to give us that eternal and abundant life. So may we plead with you now and allow you to restore what needs to be restored in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've made a decision to receive Christ, we'd love to know about that so we can walk with you in this journey and help you to take your next steps. Staff and others will be at the doors, but here's the bottom line. You are surrounded by people that will tell you what it means to be a Christian. So I want to challenge you and I want to challenge our entire church. If you made a decision to receive Christ, just turn to someone next to you and say, I need your help. And they'll make sure you get it. If you want to become a member of this church, we'd love to have you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been baptized or you're ready to be baptized, we would embrace you and allow you to come into our church. We would love to have you. You can meet with us at the doors or you can also text to 94,000. Fact is, I think you can text just about anything to 94,000. So let's stand together. Let's worship. Let's celebrate God's restoration through Christ.
you're dismissed.